Welcome to SLU Law Summation, presenting brief looks at legal matters that matter to you by St. Louis University School of Law, located in the heart of downtown St. Louis. In September, after spending 23 years of his life behind bars, Adnan Syed walked free. His case was popularized by the podcast Serial in 2014. At the age of 17, Syed was convicted of murdering his ex-girlfriend, Heyman Lee, and was sentenced to life in prison. The case has brought to light many issues with the justice system, including deficient counsel and Brady violations. For this episode, we will focus on his sentence and the larger issue, larger issue of juvenile sentencing. We are joined today by Professor Lauren Bartlett, who is the director of the law school's Human Rights at Home Litigation Clinic, and also have the special privilege of having one of our Juvenile Life Federal clients, Ike Crawford, here with us today as well. With the help of the Human Rights at Home Litigation Clinic, Ike was released on parole in February 2021 after being incarcerated for more than 29 years. Ike was sentenced to life without parole for a crime committed when he was just 17 years old. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Jessica. (laughs) So first, let's talk about juvenile life without parole or jail-wop cases. How prevalent of an issue is this? So this is the the changing situation because of the changes to juvenile sentencing in the U.S. But today, there are still about 1,500, almost 1,500 people serving juvenile life without parole sentences in prisons across the United States. Um, That number has decreased dramatically since 2012, which was looked, that's when in the US we had a peak of people serving juvenile life without parole uh, sentences. Um, So it was in, in about 2016, I think we had almost 8,000 people serving juvenile life without parole sentences. So here in Missouri, um, we only have about 40 people still serving juvenile life without parole sentences um, for crimes they, you know, for crimes they committed as juveniles. I'll also say the rate at which Black children Mm -hmm. are incarcerated for um, crimes that were committed when they were children for and given sentences of life without parole is at least twice what uh, white children, the sentences for for white children. So there's a racial um, prejudice, racism um, going on here as well. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also like, uh, additional folks serving life with parole sentences, at least 8,000 across the nation today serving life with parole. And those sentences can look like 200 plus years mm-hmm. in, in actuality. So, it, you know, just because the sentence doesn't say uh, life without parole doesn't mean that they're actually going to be given parole. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- so th- those sentences are also highly, highly prevalent. Um, and when Ike first went to jail, um, it was terrible, but fairly common for, for children to be sentenced to life without parole, right? Our society was really caught up in this idea that if children did a terrible thing, 
there was no going back. They would just, they were just like ruined goods, right? Like mm -hmm. that they that they would never be productive members of society. This idea of like monster, right. monster children. Um, but the research really does show that children are so capable of change and rehabilitation, right? The most capable of any age. So if if a child, someone under 18 um, commits a crime, right, they are still completely capable. Their brains are developing, they're growing, they're maturing. If they have the right supports, right, they're actually going to be the least likely if they're ever released um, to, to commit another crime. Mm -hmm. um, before we go on, I have a question. What, what, what do you think the difference is between the, the cases that were life without parole versus the parole? Like they're, the sentences are so similar, like what kind of constitutes or, or makes a judge hand down a sentence that would be without parole? Uh, so in Missouri, um, we had mandatory sentences for first degree murder that you either were sentenced to the death penalty or life without parole if mm -hmm. you were convicted of first degree murder. Um, today, they have expanded those the options for sentences for first degree murder to life with parole so you can be sentenced to the death penalty life without parole or life with parole mm -hmm. or i think it's a period of between 30 and 40 years um but the 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 difference with the life with parole is usually um you know if we're looking at a crime um if you're convicted of murder in the 1990s it was usually second degree murder mm -hmm. was the crime you were convicted of. Then you were sentenced to life with parole. But again, it could look like life with parole plus a hundred years. But also, you could have multiple crimes. So you could have murder in the second degree, armed robbery, mm -hmm. possession, and all of those sentences can add up to hundreds of years. Right. Right. So essentially, it's the same. Mm -hmm. Same thing in the end. <laughs> That's fun. Okay, so how do you think these sentencing practices impacted Adnan's case? So uh, Adnan was, uh, you know, seventeen at the time the murder occurred that he he was convicted. He was eventually convicted of. Um, he was sentenced in the 1990s as well, um, mm -hmm. just a few years after Ike was sentenced. Um, so the same idea, uh, same problems, ideas with not only sort of perceptions of, of children and their, uh, the idea that we should, we should uh, try 16, 17, even sometimes 15 year olds as adults mm -hmm. when they commit crimes like murder. So um, sort of take them out of the juvenile system, put them in the adult system, but then sentence them to life in prison or life plus 30 years, right? This idea that they're just as that they were just as culpable and incapable of, of rehabilitation or growth mm -hmm. and development. That was very prevalent. In, in our society. I think there's also some uh, discrimination at play here. A non-Muslim uh, came mm -hmm. from an immigrant family. Um, 
I think there's there's definitely that that playing into sentencing in the 1990s as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we talked a bit about Missouri's sentencing laws, but um, it's one of the few states that has not banned these juvenile life without parole case um, sentences. What does that mean for your work as opposed to other states like Maryland where Adam was sentenced, which has a different set of laws? Yeah, so Maryland uh, did ban juvenile life without parole. So you cannot sentence um, someone who commits a crime under 18 years of age to life without parole, and they've limited the life with parole. So everybody uh, at 20 years has a chance at parole, um, regardless of the, the the um, crime they've committed. Mm-hmm. Missouri, <laughs> um, and like I just said, in Missouri for first degree murder, we're still able to sentence not juveniles to the death penalty, but we can sentence juveniles to life without parole, life with parole, or these incredibly um, long sentences for, for first degree murder. Um, so for for what that means for me and the work that me and my clinic students do um, is limited to post-conviction work. So parole hearings, clemency petitions, mm-hmm. um, and we will continue to, to you know, do that work. Um, uh, I think it's really important to um, be able to provide as much um, due process as possible, even with this sort of broken probation parole system that we have, um, and try and get as many of these guys out um, as early as possible. Mm-hmm. So I have a question for Ike. Um, and, you know, we have touched on a little bit on the changes in the sentencing laws. When did you first hear about those kinds of things and what effect did those changes have on you in your case? Um, well, <laughs> you know, I, I committed my crimes in um, 1992 mm-hmm. and actually in 2003 mm-hmm. is when um, this, this, this movement. Right um I became familiar with in fact several several of us um in prison mm-hmm. you know um um you know, talks amongst each other and kind of you know kept kept updated and everything on what was going on and what had happened uh, right here in Missouri was there was a guy named Christopher Simmons who was 17 years old um and his lawyers filed a petition for him in the Missouri Supreme Court saying mm-hmm. that um, this, you know, national consensus had, you know, came about and that, um, you know, having him on death row, although he was 17, was right. now unconstitutional and stuff. And so when they filed that, the Missouri Supreme Court, you know, uh, um, agreed. Mm-hmm. And um, at that time, it was a precedent from the U.S. Supreme Court saying that 17 uh, juvenile 17 could be placed on death row. So the attorney general had um, appealed that decision to the U.S. Supreme Court thinking that they would win. And everybody thought that they would win because it was a precedent. But Mm -hmm. long story short, in 2005, 
the U.S. the U.S. Supreme Court reversed its decision and banned juvenile death mm -hmm. for anybody under the age of 18. And although I didn't have the death penalty, I had life, you know, without parole and stuff, but that was real significant for me because I'm sitting there thinking, you know, it'll be a big, huge blessing if yeah. one day, you know, they would say ban life without parole. You know, I, you know, I committed murder and everything for say murder. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, in 2010, um, a case made it back up to the U.S. Supreme Court dealing with the banning of life without parole mm -hmm. for non-homicide, right? So everybody was real, you know, antsy and, you know, really paying attention and following these cases and everything. Um, and, and, and once again, in 2010, the U.S. Supreme Court banned mm -hmm. um, life without parole for non-homicide. Mm -hmm. There was a, what, I think around 100 people, uh, for the most part in Florida, that um, were serving the rest of their lives and they hadn't even committed murder. So they banned uh, life without parole for juveniles for non-homicide. And so me and, you know, so many others was, you know, hoping and praying that, well, one day soon, maybe mm -hmm. they might ban life without parole for homicide cases in uh in 2012 in uh, Millerverse, Alabama, they yep. um they had did well well they didn't ban it, but they said that you know couldn't those states automatically sentence a juvenile to life without parole without taking their youth mm -hmm. and youth related characteristics um into consideration. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, of course that impacted me and 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 so many others, which you know, gave us hope and everything. Mm -hmm. um, but that fight, you know, continued all the way until like 2016 is when the U.S. Supreme Court had to make it retroactive. Keep in mind that, you know, you know, by me committing my crimes in uh, 92, um, a lot of our appeals had been denied, right. you know, and everything. And so uh, um, um, we were there. And so um, that actually is is the timeline and I was so grateful and happy and you know I had you know done things throughout the years you know uh you know you know read books and mm -hmm. you know develop a real strong reading habit and you know participate in you know probably every program that I could mm -hmm. to kind of, you know make sure that I was um I, I just wanted to be better and I mm -hmm. told myself that if mm -hmm. Even if I never get out of prison if that did happen I just wanted to you know make myself or at least transform myself to the best of my ability to the yeah. person that my mother tried her best to raise me to be and everything. And so um, when the laws did change, mm -hmm. you know, um, I was in a good position. And uh, thank God, you know, um, um, the MacArthur Justice Center and also, you know, um, you know, Wash U and, 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 and Lauren, you know, came aboard and, 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 and I got additional <laughs> awesome help and everything and um it mm -hmm. here i am today so yeah first of all your knowledge of the supreme court cases is rivals many attorneys so <laughs> you're quite the court watcher um i understand that's probably something that you know came out of necessity but um mm -hmm. congratulations on that um you were mm -hmm. your biggest advocate and you should be very proud of yourself for that but um anyway we can go on for that thank you um so as we mentioned in Adnan's case, 
you know, became podcast, became, you know, famous because of the podcast, the true crime podcast, like genre has really exploded since then. How do you think these podcasts and like the attention that it's brought to the criminal justice system and to the kind of errors of, of the criminal justice system has, has impacted like your work or the work of the justice center or, you know, cases that, that you're working on? So I do think that these, that some <laughs> true crime podcasts um, have highlighted problems with our criminal justice system, our um, mass incarceration in the United States, um, problems with juvenile sentencing in particular, problems with prison conditions. Um, but I also think at the same time, a lot of the podcasts are really focused on the who done it on the trying to figure out the crime and for for you know the 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 truth trying to get at the truth um, and for me and the work that I do right um it doesn't it, it, I do the work in spite of what happened right I do mm -hmm. believe that uh that Ike and um, my other clients who are sentenced when they were children um, or for crimes that were committed when, when they were underage, right? That, that 29 years is way too long to spend inside prison, inside prison that doesn't have adequate healthcare or food or programs, or, you know, during the pandemic, there was no religious services available. There was um, no vaccines available for quite some time, testing, there's all sorts of, you can just go on and on, but um, I do really believe that a lot of the true crime podcasts focus on the sort of truth. Um, it, you know, it, it is a is sort of it leads to like witch hunts and some, yeah. sort of some 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 problematic things. But mm -hmm. there are also I do think like in the serial podcast, there's been times that uh, podcasts have really highlighted these major problems and made of, uh, you know, thousands, if not millions of people aware of these big mm -hmm. problems in our justice system. And that's helpful. And I, I like that part. <laughs> <laughs> not everything's perfect, right? No, I, I totally know, man, you get people on Twitter, and it's just absolutely crazy. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, this isn't one of my questions that I had written out, but do you want to talk a little bit about how you and your students worked on Ike's case and what you did? Um, you know, I mean, either one of you can field that question. Um, I think I, I'd Ike, really like to know. <laughs> I'll, let Ike, I'll let Ike answer that question. <laughs> well, um, that's a good question. I really appreciate it and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, again, you know, going back to, um, you know, 2002, mm -hmm you know, on up to, you know, Millerverse, Alabama, a decade or so later. Um, although all my appeals were denied, mm -hmm. um, one, one, one of my strongest habits in that time, or even a little bit before that was, um, I just wanted to I mean, I had real, it's not silly or nothing, but but I mean, I would I would go on going to the library and, you know, just just visualize, you know, just reading every book in the library yeah. mm -hmm. and stuff. And so I, I just had a real big 
craving, I would think, for just, you know, education and, 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 but, but I, you know, being poor and everything, you know, and, 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 and not having enough money to actually go to college and, you know, seek a university degree and everything. Mm-hmm. Long story short, though, I was, um, um, really, really on a mission to better myself and to, really develop a skill set so mm-hmm. you know I had taught myself how to, how to touch type and um, a few work opportunities involved you know working on you know computers and at least mm-hmm. got you know at least the basics and everything down when it came to that and stuff and so um, I actually you know if I'm being too too long when no, no. Oh, go for it <laughs> um, I love to write and, you know, a couple of people had, you know, read some of the things that I wrote and everything. It was like, man, you should write. You should write a book. Yeah. You should write articles and things like that. Right. So um, I actually, you know, wrote quite a bit and mm-hmm. and, and I wrote churches and, you know, I, you know, I play chess and everything. And so I would write mm-hmm. chess clubs and stuff, really just seeking, you know, friends you know, mm-hmm. beyond the prison walls and everything. And uh, that's how a lot of my friends to this day actually came as pen pals initially. Mm-hmm. But um, well, when the t- time actually came and, you know, Miller came out and stuff and, you know, it was a, a, a reality that, I mean, I, I, I think I'm going to get out of yeah. prison. Um, I had, you know, the necessary support and everything to like say go on. a. I had never been to a parole hearing. I knew nothing about the policies and stuff because I had life up parole and stuff yeah. and so you know my friends got a, got on the internet and actually went in and 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 ordered a how to put together what an effective parole plan and everything and mm-hmm. sent it to me and I really devoured it and stuff yeah. and I got on my typewriter and started to really from beginning to end you know to the best of my ability and stuff um but I knew that um the MacArthur Justice Center um in in collaboration with you know Lauren but now at at the time I I just wanted to get ready to the very best of my ability because, you know, before this, I would, you know, read law and I would, you know, try to learn it and, you know, write up motions and things like that, right? So, um, you know, I read a few, uh, you know, how to write, you know, books and how to really, you know, the structure and mm-hmm. those type of things. And so um, I thought that um, if I had to do it by myself, um, I was prepared to you know work hard and 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 hopefully succeed and stuff and so I actually did that and stuff um um in 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 preparation to you know hopefully get an attorney and everything and so I just had in my mind well I'm gonna do everything to the best of my ability and once you know an attorney uh, uh come aboard you know I will hand you know uh, uh whoever it was what I had you know, completed mm-hmm. and stuff. And hopefully that will, you know, um, was able to help them better help me. And mm-hmm. uh, so, um, but <laughs> work, work, working with Lauren and, you know, the law students here and everything, uh, 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 it was a blessing and that, and, and stuff and, 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 and uh, you know, very, very professional, but I am grateful that, you know, some of the things that, you know, I had, you know, um, um, you know, worked on and kind of wrote up, you know, she definitely uh, um, incorporated some of the stuff, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. of course, the finalized version of the stuff was all her and, 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 you know, when I, whenever I got a chance to, you know, just proof it, 
know, or something, you know, it, it was just always, uh, you know, not 100%, but maybe 150%. And I really, really, you know, appreciated her professionalism as well as, you know, the students and everything. And so, uh, you know, a good team, huh? Mm, it was a good team. <laughs> I, I will say, I was, uh, you know, we, we look at ourselves as, you know, tools of our clients. And I could have done the whole parole hearing all by himself. He had everything <laughs> he needed, but we were there to add maybe like just the cherry on the top. I don't know. We, 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 so what we did was um, me and, and my students took all the things I had written. He'd written letters to the parole board. He had literally dozens of letters of support. He had a social worker from the Chris May, from the Missouri Public Defender's Office who had mm -hmm. done a lot of uh, digging up records for a long time for Ike. And so we took all of that and wrote a big brief uh, directed at the parole board. And we analyzed the factors in the Miller v. Alabama Supreme Court case and made arguments about, just as Ike mentioned, about you know that juveniles are less culpable for crimes that they've committed, and there's um, factors like peer pressure and familial pressure, and um, you know even health are things that that the the parole board looks at. Also, uh, rehabilitation um, and growth and development, and put that into a big brief with all with exhibits, hundreds of exhibits, which were all of the things that I had already put together. Um, and we submitted that to the parole board. We also helped moot Ike and moot his delegates. He had several friends who um, Ike's who actually zoomed into Ike's parole hearing because of COVID at the time. Um, we helped prepare them and we went to the actual hearing itself um, where it was really all on Ike to answer all of the questions, but we were there to support and uh, to make sure that everything was covered. We added a little bit at the end um, and you know his the decision by the parole board came back really quickly, which um, a blessed uh -huh. news, <laughs> which was wonderful because sometimes we we knew that they had made an easy decision. It should have been an easy mm -hmm. decision for Ike, but it also meant he didn't have to wait too mm -hmm. long. So, um, so it was it was a it was a we were very happy to help. I will say that as he he talks about the MacArthur Justice Center. So the MacArthur Justice Center had uh, sued the parole board and put in place a lot of these um, process points. So we were able to be at the parole hearing. We were able to get all of these records to submit for Ike. We knew a lot of more than we would have otherwise because of their lawsuit and the, uh, the, the, the orders that were in place regarding for the parole process for, for juveniles sentenced to life without parole. So, um, you know, the, the, definitely uh, this was a team effort, multiple organizations um, involved in, in getting, getting what, what we put together for the parole board and ultimately, um, you know, hopefully that all helped Ike 
get out, but I do believe he he would have done fine with with without all of this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's high praise. That's high praise. <laughs> but it sounds like you really kind of served him up a silver platter for you. So, <laughs> um, Ike, how do you think the system, whether it be sentencing or parole hearings, could be changed to make it more just? It's a big question. Well, actually, in Missouri, um, um, when the MacArthur Justice Center uh, filed a lawsuit against the parole board mm -hmm. and won the lawsuit, um, those those um, a lot of changes um, happened where the parole board started to conduct, you know, these hearings that gave you know people like me an opportunity to to highlight you know mitigating factors to highlight you know, the different, you know, Miller factors and stuff where before they, they weren't looking at any of that. Yeah. And, and, and um, even before that, they, you know, even if you had, you know, a, a very good prison record, hadn't been in any trouble, you know, for, you know, a long, long time and, you know, had, you know, awesome support and was really ready for release at that time, you know, if they wanted to just give you a, say, five-year setback for just, no reason yeah. that's exactly what they was doing and everything and uh, there was nothing you can do about it, it was just mm -hmm. you know um wait five years and hope that you know they will give you know you an outdate next time and so but the lawsuit actually brought brought about those needed changes mm -hmm. and i think because of that that's why come, come a lot of us now are actually out here in, in society hadn't been for that no doubt in my mind we have probably be, be be still there right mm -hmm. to this day um as far as you know stuff in the system that despite the lawsuit and of what's going on with the parole with the system there's a lot of you know changes i believe that could you know really really help and one of those main changes is you know when i was sentenced to life without parole there's levels in a prison system from like level one, which is the, you know, the, uh, you go to more, you know, lenient and lax facilities all yeah. the way up to level five. That's like um, Potosi Correctional Center, mm -hmm. Jefferson City Correctional Center, all maximum security prisons. And of course, you know, that that's where I went and would stay there because of my sentence. That sentence, uh, that there was no way ever to go to lower facilities. Well, long story short, you know, there, there are more vocational training, there are mm -hmm. more educational opportunities at the lower levels versus mm -hmm. the higher levels. And um, even after the lawsuit and stuff, I actually made parole from a maximum security prison, but um, I wanted to be, and am now, a truck driver with a class of CDL license and everything. Okay. Well, they have a program for CDLs in a level four, three, four camps, uh -huh. but I could never get that training and everything uh, because of the time I had. Right. So um, I would love to see, you know, um, juveniles, you know, um, who, you know, you know, who's in prison and, you know, what would have to do sometime um, to be able to go to other lower facilities and take advantage of, you know, vocational opportunities and everything. So whenever that time do come, whether it's 10, 15 or 20 years, mm -hmm. 
you know, they can already have the skill set in place to right. be able to, you know, get out and hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that don't happen. Mm -hmm. Or that's right. not happening as of now. So that would be the change I would like to, you know, see. And even um, educational opportunities yeah. and everything. Uh, I just so happen to, you know, fall in love with reading books and stuff. And, 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 and so, um, but there's really nothing beyond the GED and mm -hmm. well, at least, at least where I was at. Mm -hmm. And um, at the very end, the year before I was, I was released, they had brought the Pell Grants mm -hmm. back. And, uh, but only because of the lawsuit, they had allowed me to enter into a bachelor's degree program and um, but without that lawsuit, they mm -hmm. wouldn't anybody if if you look in the computer, anybody with life without parole, they will you're automatically disqualified from even enrolling yeah. in college. Yeah. And so um, that's another thing that uh, I would I would definitely like to see the system, mm -hmm. you know, improve on is, is 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 educational opportunities that's available if a person wants to utilize their time wisely in prison, you know, to actually go for, you know, um, education and, you know, starting to value education and, you know, want to go beyond, you know, the basics of a GED and go and take, you know, collegiate level classes and everything, uh, with, say, with the intention of getting an associate's or a bachelor's, or even a master's, um, they should have an opportunity because, I did my research on that and everything, and that recidivism rate drastically drops mm -hmm. for those that actually accomplish, you know, you know, university degrees and everything. So um, that's what the, I was. Yeah. So I was gonna say because it sounds like the sentencing that that you're seeing or that we have seen not only impacts whether or not you can get out of prison, but the how you spend your time and what exactly. you do. Yeah. Right. And that is yeah. that too is is an injustice, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, okay, well, I feel like I could go on and on right now, but I'm gonna call it. But I do have just one final question for you, Ike. Do you have any book recommendations? What's your favorite book? book rec a oh. book recommendation. What should oh, I read? What, what's my favorite book? Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, well, <laughs> well, I have several, uh, <laughs> but if I was to narrow down the one that, probably impacted me the most mm -hmm. I would say there's a book by a guy named Dr. Frank Dr. Victor Frankel mm -hmm. and he um he was a Holocaust survivor and okay. he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning mm -hmm. awesome book I mean it was a real thin book and everything but you know the things that he said you know really opened my eyes and everything and 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 I read it probably set several times. I even have it, you know, in my library, in my apartment uh -huh. stuff. Awesome book, Doctor okay. Victor Frankel. Okay. And it's called Man's Search for Meaning. Okay, I wrote it down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then Lauren, um, what? How many cases like this have you? Has your clinic worked on? And what kind of do you see for this this type of work for your clinic in the future? Yeah. So. Uh, we have worked on, we're, we're just starting our ninth um, juvenile life without parole hearing case. Mm -hmm. um, we've, we've done eight, eight, 
eight already, or well, uh, we've had seven parole, parole hearings, all seven um, guys got uh, either outdates and um, when there's uh, five out already, including including Ike. Um, so very, very exciting. Um, we'll continue doing some more of these cases. We'll also work on some other types of post-conviction relief. The, the, the thing we haven't addressed here today is the wonderful MacArthur Justice lawsuit that established all these mm -hmm. processes was actually overturned by the Court of Appeals Brown v. Precise just last month. And so um, all of the wonderful process, procedural benefits that this class of guys received yeah. um, is down the drain. Um, other than training, the parole board did receive quite a bit of training on juvenile life without parole, um, juvenile brain development, et cetera. So that's great. But um, you know, we're we're looking at an uphill battle on yeah. these cases going forward without uh, the processes in place. And so we have to do a little bit of soul searching to figure out what's next and what we could do about that problem. So we just don't want things to go back to what they were before, which is what Ike was describing with guys going up for parole being denied over for without any reason. Yeah. Um, you know. So we we've got uh, quite quite a, a battle ahead, but yeah. we'll keep fighting and students working with clients like Ike, I think this is life-changing work to understand um, you know, truly what what it means to to forgive, what what hope and hopelessness means and um, redemption um, and just learning about, our prison system and our sentencing system it's it's really important work and if we can help a little bit it's 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 great mm -hmm. yeah I mean again I can probably be long very long-winded and stuff but you know just one other quick thing I wanted to mm -hmm. make enough as for the change in the um system that's not going on now that that I would love to see happen mm -hmm. is um if possible the you know victim offender um dialogue i know how important that was for me i i i, I um received received a blessing to you know um become connected with uh, my victim's mother, mm. who actually, um, you know, traveled up to the prison and sat down with me face to face, wow. um, and it was powerful. It was scary. I, I, I was, yeah, I was scared to face her and everything, and 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 uh, uh, um, but we talked for like four hours and stuff, and 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 uh, but I mean, you know, coming to prison for so young, you know. You know, I mean, I never got married. I never had children, you know, and, and mm -hmm. you know, you know, I never really reached certain milestones. I think that would, you know, had would have had such an impact on me that I 
you just always remember, like kind of like getting married or whatever. You you will never forget that day mm -hmm. and all that type of stuff. Well, I really, after that meeting with her, that was kind of like a milestone for me, mm -hmm. a real powerful and therapeutic milestone. Mm -hmm. And 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 having gone through that, you know, it 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 really, really, you know, you know, just just made me want to never, ever, ever again, you know, create another victim. You know, she was mm -hmm. she was open and she was real direct with, mm -hmm. you know, how I hurt her and 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 you know, she even even went as far as to, you know, telling me how difficult it was to choose a casket face to face. I was just mm -hmm. scared to death to, you know, just mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I did what, you know, those things and stuff. But long story short, um, we have a connection today. And just like two weeks ago, I went to church. Me and her went to church together and we wow. sat next to each other in the pew and, wow. you know, just just praise the Lord and stuff. And so it's an awesome connection and stuff. Yeah. Huge milestone. So I would. I would I would like to see the system, you know, um, embrace that to the best best of their ability. I do mm -hmm. understand sometimes victims don't want to have no mm -hmm. no connection, don't want to have no any of that, and I absolutely understand that. But those that want to, because it's very very powerful and therapeutic. Yeah, you probably know? not only for you but also for her, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's that's exactly what she said. You know, mm -hmm. that's exactly what she said. That is. It's for her, mm -hmm. and 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 it's it's just a blessing. Mm -hmm. So anyway, anyway, oh my gosh. Well, I, I have to really <laughs> I really could talk to you guys forever. I will say one thing. I I want to read what you're writing. So I mean, I do communications. You ever want to send something my way? Um, writing yeah. is also my favorite thing to do. So okay. I'm happy to look at anything. Okay. Well, I would definitely you know be in touch with Lauren. Be, be, you're always so creative. I love it. <laughs> I do too. Yeah, I'm here for that. I'm here for that. All right. Thank really you. Really, this time, I think. Thanks for letting us. Thank you. Us. Yes, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was lovely meeting you, Ike. And um, Lauren, keep up the good work. You just gave us a nugget of really hopelessness. So I hope that we can turn that around. No well, we're we're gonna go have sushi together. Okay, I, good. For the first time, I'm gonna try try sushi. So oh, well, I expect a full report back. I'd love to know how that goes. <laughs> okay. I remember my first sushi. Wasn't that long ago? So, <laughs> all right. Well, have a good one, guys. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for joining us for Slough Law Summations, produced by St. Louis University School of Law.